Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I am here with Carrie Aleveld. And today we are going to talk messaging. Our guest is going to be Jennifer Fernandez Acona. She is the co-founder, VP of way to win which is a group that brings together progressive donors uh, and, and organizers to work for a more progressive America. And Carrie, this is sort of your beat. This is like your passion. And you've really been, really been focusing on that, on that Republican message and Donald Trump message. And we've been, you and even I've been writing about how, how it's so dissonant to the American mainstream. They seem to be trapped in that world and they can't get out of it or don't want to get out of it or don't care to get out of it. And we've had Jen on the show several times, actually. She's a friend of the show, friend of mine, going back politically. And yeah, we, uh, threatened, we threatened to make her a co-host, remember? at the, <laughs> Last year, after we'd had her on for like four times, we were like, we're secretly going to make her a co-host and she doesn't know it. <laughs> yeah, um, that, but, that, they, that, but we didn't do it. We didn't do it. Not yeah, yet. Go ahead. And, uh, and she's been great to really sort of break down what kind of messaging works, what messaging doesn't work. And, and um, and in fact, I, I, I say we bring her in right now and, and yeah, uh, she's ready to go. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're talking about Hi. how great you are and how you're going to be our co-host here pretty soon. It's our evil long-term plan to, <laughs> to rope you in. And I think the last time we talked, and correct me if I'm wrong, was it right before the midterm election when we talked about Joe Biden? closing on a message of democracy and i know way to win mm -hmm. had also really hit that theme and mm -hmm. all the, the pundit class and the chattering class they were like oh you should have talked about the economy like what a missed opportunity and they totally got it wrong <laughs> like am i misremembering that might or was that about right Jen, what, no. how do you <laughs> that is how Jen, I remember Jen might have might have framed it a little more subtly, but I think she's probably <laughs> going to agree with you. I <laughs> yeah, no, I think that absolutely it was when before the midterms we had really been pushing in all the message we we're doing that we have to make this election about something really big. It's a it's a big contrast between these MAGA Republicans who want to take us backward. And we have all these issues that are popping up from abortion to democracy to other issues. We can actually tie them together when we talk about our freedoms and how we need to protect our freedoms. So that's absolutely what we did. And and actually not only seeing the results and, and being surprised out you know, outsmarting the pundits and what they were predicting in terms of our downfall. Um, we actually did a, a post-election battleground poll as well in several states to see, okay, what did voters say actually motivated them to vote for us this time? And what we found was, while voters will always say the economy is their top issue, no matter what, they'll always say that it, it just will always happen. Um, we actually made ask them a forced choice. Okay, if it was economy, um, abortion and democracy, which were all issues that they had said were important, what would you choose first? Or, you know, what was most important? And it, it, or how would you rank them? And what we found is that voters who are Democrats and voters who are independents both ended up saying that taken together the issue of abortion and the issue of democracy, which we tied together with that freedoms messaging, overtook their concerns actually about economy and inflation in this particular midterm. So it really was a winning strategy to tie those two things together, make that more salient. And I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about the economy. I mean, that's you've heard me talk about that too. That's another thing that we also do have to address. Voters in this poll, we also saw 
do not trust Democrats to manage the economy, even though we have gotten so much better results than Republicans when they are in charge. So we have to fix that, too. So going forward, I see it really as a a both and that we have to thread that needle. Civics had a poll, you know, a pre-election poll that made it pretty clear that even though the economy was like a top five issue or, you know, even a top three issue for like, you know, across the board, that Democrats were putting, I'm pretty sure, abortion as their number one issue and independents mm-hmm. were putting democracy as their number one issue. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very similar uh, feel to what you're saying. I can't cite mm-hmm. it from memory exactly, but I, I remember being really clear that all the people who saying democracy is not on the ballot were just flat out wrong. Um, so yeah. I, I'll just say that um, this walking and chewing gum at the same time is something that we're definitely seeing from the White House, right? Because um, uh, Obama, I mean, sorry, Obama, Biden, <laughs> Easy mistake to make. I hear people on NPR do it too. I get you. I get you. So, um, but President Biden, uh, when he announced his um, his candidacy, you know, he put out this sort of um, thirty, uh, or maybe it was a couple minutes, sort of values ad or values Mm -hmm. announcement um, Mm -hmm. of his candidacy, and it was very values based. And then he went out immediately after that and went to like a union, um, like a union hall in Washington D.C. somewhere, and was doing a total economic pitch, right? Which Mm -hmm. is this back and forth of doing the values based uh, thing on freedom, which he's very Mm -hmm very much owning the word freedom mm-hmm. and then also doing these uh, more localized things, uh, events on the economy. And, and one of the reasons he has to do the localized events on the economy is that he can't seem to get national press to pay attention to that. So mm-hmm. he's got to go to local places because once he goes locally, the state newspaper, you know, the political newspapers, the locals newspapers cover it. And that's important in terms of that particular swing state that they send them to. But anyway, so we've got these um, we've got this thing, you know, this this dynamic that they're trying to play out between the freedom yeah. you're talking about and also the economy. But let's go ahead and listen to um, the first minute of his first ad. This is not his announcement, it's but but it's the first minute and a half ad that his Joe um, Biden's, yeah. Yeah, Joe yeah, Biden's re-election put campaign. Out. And I, I would like to see kind of hear what your takeaways are from that after we listen to it. This is the first ad he put out for um for his As the sun rises, we raise the flag, a symbol of all that we hold most dear as Americans. Courage, opportunity, democracy freedom. They're the values and beliefs that built this country and still beat in our hearts. But they're under attack by an extreme movement that seeks to overturn elections, ban books, and eliminate a woman's right to choose. Joe Biden has made defending our basic freedoms the cause of his presidency. The freedom for women to make their own health care decisions. The freedom for our children to be safe from gun violence. The freedom to vote and have your vote counted for seniors to live with dignity and to give every American the freedom that comes with a fair shot at building a good life. In small towns and big cities, we raise our heads, our eyes, our hearts for America, for the idea of this great country. Joe Biden is running for re-election to make certain that the sun will not set on this flag. The promise of American democracy will not break. Democracy must not be a partisan issue. It's an American issue. Okay. Goosebumps? Goosebumps? 
I yeah, I loved that ad. I when I saw it, I thought it was incredible. Such good storytelling, leading with values. It really it, it people need positivity and uplifting narrative like we've talked about. It really feels like it's including all of our coalition in it. You it you know, it do, it doesn't feel like one of those white swing voter ads that only shows people like throwing hay bales. You know, it actually shows a diversity of America and it really gives you that feeling in the tone that it has. And it's so important to connect the idea of, like I was saying before, freedom, to use freedom as a value. You heard that repeated throughout the ad. It's That's the kind of thing we need. We need repetition in order for this kind of message to break through. So the way that they were connecting book bans and attacks on democracy, January 6th with the abortion rights, those are the connections we need people to really understand to get, again, understand the stakes of this election as well in 2024 in the same way that we did in 2022, which was the only way we were able to overcome these historic headwinds and, you know, all of the media narrative telling us that there was no chance we could do anything in the, in the midterm. So I was like very happy because honestly, a lot of the language was actually I felt like it was very much echoing a lot of the ads that we had made throughout 20, 2021 and 2022. It just, it's like, yes, that's, that's, that's what we need to do. That's, that's what we were urging. And it feels like the president's reelection campaign really embraced it. And it's exciting to see that kind of success and how, you know, people with a real multiracial coalition progressive um, lens can kind of influence like an actual mainstream message. Oh, that might have been fun to uh, compare one of your ads from last because I remember that, <laughs> right? I mean, very, and you, you have the formula which he, which we've talked the about, yeah. uh, which is to have that value, that overarching value, to have a villain, and he talked yeah. about the mag extremists, and then yeah. they make you the the the, the hero, hero of your own story, right? Like you can yes. just about this, and they are absolutely following that, and uh, so um, I'm sure part of it is that success, you know, like if. Having have we not won the midterm election, maybe it might have been a different sounding yeah. ad, but um, yeah. it is exactly it what you have been preaching and what you've been talking for for a mm-hmm. while. So it's got to be very validating. It's very validating yeah, to us and to so many other partners who have also been preaching this and, and taking up that mantle um, throughout the whole lead up to the midterms. As far back as 2021, we were pushing some of these messages, especially about the extreme MAGA, GOP, labeling them that way, making them a villain, all the things you so um, succinctly talked about, Marcos, the the formula that, that actually works and it, it wasn't it wasn't something that we felt we necessarily felt was getting picked up when we were in 2021, you know? And it's, so it's true that the, I think the success of the message that we were able to help push and so many candidate campaigns also successfully pushed, it helped show, I think this larger ecosystem of what, what is the winning message right now? And especially when we don't know who the nominee is going to be, of course, we, we think it will likely be Trump on the other side. We don't necessarily know, we don't have a, a nominee for the GOP, that message is evergreen. Like it should apply to any of them. You know, it, it does apply to any of them. You can you can tie any of them into that, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or some other random like thing that might pop up. But right, like that's what I think is really powerful about it. Um, because it pins them into a narrative that is really helpful for us and it's sort of agnostic of whoever the nominee might be. 
I love the word freedom, too. I mean, partly because it's something that the Republicans have thought they've owned for the longest totally. time. But but also because you can apply it across the board, just like you're saying, you can apply it against Trump, against DeSantis, against whoever it might be. Right. You can also deploy, deploy it in favor of just about anything. So right. reproductive freedom. They said in there, the freedom of our children to feel safe from gun violence. And yeah. that's such a, you know, like I've been thinking about that forever. Don't we have the freedom to not be like bullied by gun violence every time we walk in, you know, walk out into a public square and yeah. they applied it really nicely there. And, and that it, that should be a freedom. That should be a freedom to not be worried yeah. about going out in public and, you know, your kids getting shot or taking them to school, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I also wanted to ask, so y- you said that you felt like this kind of wasn't getting picked up in some ways in 2021. Did you feel like, I mean, the DC, you know, the DC uh, class of Mm -hmm. uh, democratic consultants, right. Mm -hmm. Pacific. And they don't, they're not always a quick study. Um, I'll just say that. So, you know, they've been hanging on to the Clinton triangulation for, for two decades now. Yeah. It's like old habits die hard old habits die really hard and those old habits made them a lot of money a lot of money which is why mm-hmm. it's so hard to let go of it um mm-hmm. you think that they uh, do you get the sense that they're more open to it now or do you think that the uh, that the i almost said the obama white house <laughs> living in 2010 um uh the do you think the biden white house is just more open to it than the dc you know uh uh political classes, the democratic political class. Is it, is there a chance that his messaging people, his polling people are actually mm-hmm. have some, you know, degree of separation um, that gives them mm-hmm. a little bit more independence when they go about uh, formulating their strategies? And just to sort of contextualize that, that question even more is what I mentioned earlier is that that class was vicious at Biden for not wanting to talk about high gas prices and inflation. And we're like, why would we want to highlight the one issue that seems to be resonating for Republicans? Like, no, you change the subject. Talk about other things. But it was it was deafening. I mean, everybody assumed that he had made this ginormous mistake by focusing on democracy and, yeah. uh, as a closing message. And the voices, those of us who were arguing the opposite, there weren't many of us and nobody in seemingly like positions of big power, except whoever made the decision in the White House, which I guess is the most power. So, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting. Yeah. Where did you feel that that? I just <laughs> uh, just to finish out Carrie's thought, right? I mean, it, it did seem that we were shouting in the void, but we weren't. Do you have any sense of what was happening? Yeah, I mean, I I will say in the early days, you know, coming right off of 2021 of the insurrection itself, I mean, we many of us who watched that happen felt very clear right away, and we knew we had to do research, but this has to be something that we can use to wedge Republicans and build this, you know, anti-MAGA coalition that we know is more than just us hardcore progressives. It includes more moderates, it includes us suburban people, you know, people who even are Republicans who don't actually want that kind of MAGA future. So we knew that it could be a wedge, but there was there was a resistance when we started talking with folks on the inside, those committees and the, you know, consultants, there was a resistance. We had, and we had great allies. We had other allies like, 
folks that um, other groups that we even weren't even considered progressive, but were kind of Democrat aligned groups who were kind of saying the same thing as us um, around using extremism. But there was just resistance to going with a hardcore message about extremism, about MAGA GOP. You know, there was a whole effort that the, actually Naveen at the Center for Progress Action Fund pushed on the idea of MAGA, like that really should be what we call them. And, um, you know, at first when people aren't you know, people are like, no, 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 we can't say MAGA. That's too weird. Like, you know, people resist <laughs> certain ideas, but, um, but ultimately I think we were able, we just kept pushing so many of us, not just us, so many of the partners, research collaborative, you know, and not Shanker, Osorio and all this, these message gurus who were out there saying like, look, here's what the evidence says. We can call them this. We can call them MAGA GOP. It is helpful to bring in January 6th as a proof point. And then it really helped when the January 6th hearings were executed the way they were in the summer. So beautifully, they were, they were well done. You know, they did a good job really with that messaging, which, folks like a not were actually part of shaping right so like we knew that that was an important moment and it did it did i think that helped to shift overall the overall environment as well where it's like okay yeah i can see that this could be actually a useful um, strategy to call this out so i would say that and the other thing i would say is that for sure there's independence and that's that's one of the challenges actually is the way that all these different uh, groups whether it's the white house you know in in the presidential which is with the dnc the dccc for congress the dscc for house they all have their own different message strategies and different consultants sets that they work with so they don't always connect and and there there is so that's a good thing if there's independence for the the biden and the presidential team but it can be a bad thing when the message actually then isn't in lockstep across the board and we've 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 seen that in some of the research that we've done on just the tv advertising we did a big study in 2020 and we're about to release and our next study on 2022 is going to come out tomorrow so um you guys can look at that and um it but it shows some movement you know in 2020 the there was almost nothing when you looked at the word extreme uh, on tw- in 2020 congress ads there was almost nothing for um, the the democrats calling the republicans extreme but the republicans calling the democrats extreme actually it was like that was what was happening uh, and there was almost nothing even though trump was on the ballot right and so um in 22 that was like almost flipped and you really saw a huge increase in democrats calling out republicans as being extreme and it was because of abortion that enabled them to do that so just that's a little a little preview, but um, it, it actually we did see that kind of progress. So I think that's also really good, and it makes yeah. me do, does make me feel good about the work to continue pushing for this coordinated, integrated, progressive messaging. Nice. I mean, I, I'll I'll give the Biden White House uh, one thing, which is sometimes they don't start out in the right place, but they oftentimes get there. Um, so that's really mm-hmm. helpful. I and and even better, they in my opinion, they started out in the right place with their reelection. Uh, um, Absolutely. So yeah. I, I'm where I'm wary of the time. She only we we only have about ten more minutes with our with okay. our. Um, esteemed guest. And so let's move on to Trump at the CNN town hall where he talks about the debt ceiling and he's he's like just a jerk. Um, But anyway, uh, let's just go ahead and watch the clip and and get Jen's reaction to how that's going to play for Democrats. Mr. President, you think the U.S. should default if the White House does not agree to the spending cuts, Republicans well, are you demanding. might as well do it now because you'll do it later. 
because we have to save this country. Our country is dying. Our country is being destroyed by stupid people, by very stupid people. You once said that using the that using the debt ceiling as a negotiating wedge uh, just could not happen. You you said that when sure. you were in the That's Oval when Office. That's I was president. To, so why is it different now that you're out of office? Because now I'm not president. <laughs> The U.S. defaulting would be massively consequential well, for everyone it's, in this room, for all of You don't know. It's psychological. It's really psychological more than anything else. And it could be very bad. It could be maybe nothing. Maybe it's a you have a bad week or a bad day. Could be nothing. Could be, hey, you know what? Not having food on the plate is just psychological. If you just change your perspective a little bit, that could be a glass half full situation. Yeah. I mean, it's unsure. I know. No, it's it's unbelievable. And while, you know, that whole thing was really a lot to watch, what we are seeing is that this message that he has on the default is actually hurting him and and hurting the Republicans because, you know, people are not really paying attention to this default question as much, but we are finding that when we can tell a story about what it actually means, what it would actually mean to default. People do understand that it would be very catastrophic for themselves. They're the ones who are going to be paying that that cost. So for him to be so cavalier about it, for him to show how he, when he was president, it was fine, but you know, it just, it doesn't make sense to people. And so that clip is actually pretty damaging for him and the GOP. One of the things that we're looking for in this whole default question and fight right now is how can we move voters' opinions so that they actually blame the GOP for even the threat of a default? Because that is going to help us in our effort to oust them in 2024. So that's a really important metric. In addition to looking at how do we get them to have Democratic approval, we really want that voters to blame the GOP because no matter what happens, they should be blamed for even promoting, you know, for even promoting the idea of this. So the other thing that I, I'll just share is like, you know, we are also looking at how can we actually take some of the ideas that we just talked about around MAGA Republicans pushing an extreme agenda. They've taken away your right to abortion. They want to end Social Security and Medicare. Their new extreme is trying to force us to default on our debt in America. And this would lead to economic catastrophe, wipe out your retirement accounts, delay your Social Security checks, that kind of really concrete, um, you know, this is the consequence of what would happen and tying it and saying they're doing that all to protect tax loopholes and for the super rich and corporations that's what they're actually protecting that that looks like it's a a strong message for this moment right now and it is something that would you would say in response to that trump clip or you know someone talking like that um like trump was talking so we haven't we i mean you, you talk about how it's a poor message for the republican party is there anything right now that is working for them? Because from all indications, they're doubling down on policies that cost them in midterm election that they should have won in a landslide fashion. Mm-hmm. And they don't mm-hmm. seem to either care or they're trapped in the bubble. Um, and, and so they're just doubling down on, the, on these, you know, on the anti-abortion, mm-hmm. uh, this woke stuff that I don't mm-hmm. see it working. Maybe you have data that, that says something. Is there anything at all that, that may play to their benefit at this point? Yeah, it's such a good question. And what I would say is that what plays to their benefit, honestly, is the fact that they have had a 40-year head start on on like the idea, see some like 
basic fundamental ideas about society, about government. What we hear when we listen to voters talking to us right now, when we ask them about some of these economic questions, you know, we still hear sort of parroted back talking points around, well, Biden's programs caused all of these this inflation, and it's just for lazy people who don't work that hard who want handouts. That really that's like Milton Friedman stuff you know that goes really way back it's a deep cut and it's still there even in our own voters you know talking to Latino voters in Arizona and Nevada swing states I'm not talking about like you know deep red states like Mississippi I'm talking about purple states Latino voters actually saying some of that stuff in focus groups so it does give you a sense that what they're why they can win is because they are reinforcing every time they say if trump even said it every time they say um well it's because everything is ruined because of inflation and everything the democrats are doing it's spending 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 so they say spending they say inflation they said that all throughout the midterms that was what almost all of their ad spends were about they really drill that in and it reinforces a just a deeply held belief that we ultimately need to shift in people you know yeah you know, it's, I'm just spitballing here, but it makes me wonder if there's, especially now, because now is when you start to build a narrative that you can build on that opens up other narratives down the road, right? Yeah. And I wonder if there's there is an ad to be made or ads to be made that argue that everything changed on January 6th, right? Mm. You could even make an a, a um you could even make a piece about the Republican Party and Ronald Reagan and say, you know, Ronald Reagan's Republican Party did some good things or whatever. I know everybody's gagging who's a progressive Democrat right now, but you know, it was in you know, I don't know, it was morning in America. People were optimistic or whatever. And then mm-hmm. You know, and you build and then you say and everything changed on January 6th. And then you have Trump saying, you know, the, it was run. The party was run by stupid people and idiots. And, you know, I mean, and like and then if people get in their craw that everything changed on January 6th, that mm. opens up everything. Who's better mm. at economics? You know, who's better at like you can then you can make, you know, you was like, I know that people used to think that Republicans were better at, at economics, mm. but like. That all changed on January 6th, like Trump over, you know what I mean? I'm just spitballing, but it seems Mm. like you could, that was such a cataclysmic moment for the country that you could argue that suddenly everything changed and then have a bunch of things that you could build off of that. Just food for thought, Jen. Just, I'm just trying to tell you how to do your job. That's what I I mean. I love all the ideas. You know, I love it. Yeah. yeah. We need to bring you back because I actually, one of the things I'd really love to talk about, and we definitely don't have time in these next three minutes, is is, uh, just that brand, right? It's it's that, that sticking brand where people in West Virginia will not vote for a Democrat no matter what. And there's literally Mm -hmm. nothing you can say, nothing you can do, nothing that can change your minds. And Mm -hmm. there has to be uh, some movement. And I know people have tried over the years, but it's been sort of that micro-targeting where you're going to, you know, like you said, it's, you know, some farm guy, you know, hauling hay. And so that would be a really interesting uh, topic for a future conversation. Uh, And we have a couple of minutes left. Is there anything you want to close with? Well, I I think I would just close with, you know, I do have a lot of hope that regardless of how we frame it, like, you know, Carrie, your idea is interesting. There's other ideas, too. But we we really have not tried to fully sell a a narrative that talk that helps people understand 
why Democrats are better for the economy and that can connect back to some of these other issues because the race and gender issues are important. You know, it's we can't just talk about kitchen table issues and ignore the fact that the kitchen table is has expanded and people are talking about lots of things at the kitchen table and especially with women and families that matter. So I guess I just have hope that we can connect this idea of freedom, whether it's, you know, freedom to thrive is something we're playing around an economic vision and connecting back to th- freedom to have, you know, kids when you want to have them and democracy, live in a democracy where your vote is counted. So I think there's way, I think that we're there and we, like all the work that we did before is now at this place where we need to build it again going forward. But it, it feels hopeful and exciting that we'll actually get there. Biden's. Oh. Biden said that in his ad, the freedom, the freedom to everybody have a, for everybody to have a fair shot at a good life. The freedom yes. to thrive is what you're talking about. Yep. So, you know, I mean, yeah, there's places to build. Sorry, I interrupted yep. Marcos. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you interrupted <laughs> the closeout. So that was that was OK. So Jennifer fernandez Angona is the co-founder and VP of Way to Win. Thank you so much. As always, I can't wait to have you back to continue this discussion. Always. A I look forward to it as well. Thank you both so much. Thanks. Bye bye. Carrie, was- I'm, I'm curious um, if, if, you know, we, we, we've talked about rural Democrats and trying to win the rural vote. And we've had, a, um, oh, what's his face, on the show a couple of times, uh, last couple of years. Oh, oh, oh Matt Hildreth. Yeah, yeah Matt yeah. Hildreth. And so I'm yeah. curious. I, of, try rural, to- yeah, of rural rural organizing. For, for whatever reason, every time we have him on, I, I develop a, a pop problem that I never otherwise have of not being able to say the r- word rural. Rural. I don't know. <laughs> rural. Rural. Uh, yeah, see? See? Yeah. Um, anyway, go ahead. I'm curious what his take would be on that ad and how he thinks that might that might resonate if you strip out the partisanship. I know there's this problem where, you know, once there's a D attached to a name, uh, and we've seen this time and time again, we actually have seen polling where you're, you'll poll two candidates and people will overwhelmingly in rural areas choose a Democrat. But once you like mention, oh, well, that's a Democrat, boom, they go the other direction. And I don't I don't know how um, I actually I'm blown away by how great that Biden ad is. And it really yeah. is a departure, marked departure from the typical Democratic ad. And to see that sort of innovation from the presidential level and that sort of bubble up from uh, uh, lower campaigns. And I'm not talking like blue state Democrats who can say whatever they want and there's no consequences. But in competitive races, Democrats have been afraid to to use that kind of aggressive language. They think that they need to be. Uh, sort of, you know, kumbaya, you know, bipartisan because they want to win independence. And that sort of waters down that message. And Biden himself ran, began his campaign in 2020, 2019, whenever that campaign actually began, by talking about how one of his strengths was that his was his ability to work across the aisle, thinking that that was like a big winner. And now he, like this is like a 180, complete 180. And it's exactly right. the kind of message that we like at Daily Coast have been angling for a long time, right? It's not, it's not, you know, about saying just Democrats are bad and, you know, F those guys. And, but it's about really creating this sort of broader narrative that why it's imperative to, to support the Democrat. And it's not about specifically the issues. It's about this core organizing value and, and this value. The fact that Republicans handed us freedom on the platter is the biggest gift to the Democratic Party. We don't have to, once upon a time, you can make, you can run that ad 10 years ago and it would be perfectly applicable as it is yeah. today. But people would have rolled their eyes at that point, including Democrats, uh, because I wrote a book that said much of those things right. and people rolled their eyes at me saying well, that I was were, being alarmist. You and, were too soon. 
Yeah, yeah you were too soon. So, I mean, I think you. I think there is an argument that every everything changed on January sixth. I mean, that was a moment when Republicans had a chance to kind of right the ship. They had spent four years making, make, you know, making excuses for Trump, letting Trump be Trump, just not calling him out. And they could have, you know, Senate Republicans could have found the seventeen votes to to convict um, on the, you know, oh, for the switch. They would have had it. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And and uh, and you know. It, I they had a chance to sort of redeem the party a little bit there to find to make that, you know, to finally make like cut Trump loose. Right. And then they didn't. They doubled down on just like being like, well, if we just let him stick around a little longer, we could still get his votes. And who cares about the moral rot that's like, you know, permeating the, you know, the whole the whole party. And and so, you know, I think that I think arguably that is a moment when everything changed. I mean, so one could, of course, argue, well, 2016 was the moment everything changed when he got elected. But for the Republican Party, this is where there was just at, at that point that they didn't take the opportunity to convict him, that they didn't take the opportunity to say January 6th was wrong. They attacked the government. More lives could have been lost. Um, that was a moment when the Republican Party just decided to go full fashion full cultist, et cetera. And um, I will say, you know, the idea of the of MAGA Republicans was probably helpful for Joe Biden, because I think Joe Biden has spent the last, you know, the first three or four years of his in, in office, three years in office, realizing and he said as much in press conferences that this isn't the Republican Party he thought he was dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I kind of genuinely being surprised that he wasn't able to, you know, he did make some deals. He did get a big bipartisan infrastructure deal through. He did. You know, he was able to do, pull a few deals. But I think he's realized over the course of the three years that regardless of whatever uh, legislative wins he was able to get there's something just purely rotten about this Republican Party that he didn't realize coming in. And for him to be able to break out MAGA Republicans and take aim at MAGA Republicans, but not necessarily the old sort of establishment Republicans who I would argue have been equally as complicit in letting Trump, you know, ruin their party. But for I think for Biden, that gave him an opportunity to kind of bifurcate, you know what I mean? To like be like, well, there's this group of Republicans that's really rotten, but there's still a group of salvageable Republicans. And I think that was helpful for him. I want to say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just to add, I actually originally, when he started talking about mega Republicans, I thought it was a mistake because exactly that, it gave an out to a lot Mm -hmm. of those other Republicans. But what I didn't, what ended up happening that I think validates Biden's approach is that there's a lot of Republicans like like our frequent guest Sarah Longwell that needed that yep. permission. Can, had, had he basically said all your Republicans are like Trump, then they have to clump together for safety, right? They had no choice. But by yeah. sort of providing that 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 fig leaf, and again, these elections are so tight that if you pull five ten percent from from uh, from you know the Republican Party, so it's not we're, these anti-Trump. In some Republicans, cases, if you pull three, two or three percent, I mean, yeah. in some cases, it's like that slim. You know, it's not a lot of them, but we don't need a lot of them. We need to peel off 10, 15, You know, no, you're right. It could be three percent depending on the district. I mean, there's a lot of we we would have control of the House if the like you know at the closest five races had gone the other direction. I mean, it, it was it was that that we lost so many races by hundreds of votes in the, you know, double and triple digit number of votes. So yeah, absolutely. And so it, it, and I think it made Biden himself feel better. He wasn't 
attacking his old friends that he hung out with and like yeah. the MAGA crowd. That's not his friends, right? He was already in the White House at that point. He didn't he didn't have relationships. But yeah, it does give it did, did give freedom to maybe some of those suburban college educated white voters who mm-hmm. sure. don't they're not they're not they're not really feeling great about about Trump, about MAGA, but they're always been Republican and changing party affiliation. It's it's a it's a process. It's like changing your religion. It, it's it's not a thing that happens overnight. Um, changing your beliefs can literally create as much physical pain as losing a limb. I mean, this is this is like a real yeah. thing. And so you can't expect people just like, oh, OK, now I'm a, I'm a Democrat because Trump. Right. It's a process. I was a Republican. I went, you know, it took me about three years to, to go from Republican to Democrat in my early 20s. So I, yeah, I, I yeah. know firsthand what, what that feels like. like. So I grew up in a Republican household. I mean, my fa- you know, my father, my father wasn't a crazy Republican. I mean, he eventually by the end of his life was voting for Democrats. He voted for Obama and for Hillary, and if but, I um, like till the end, yeah, you know, he still considered himself a Republican. He just wasn't that kind of Republican. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and that, that's he, what Biden yeah. I think has created by by creating like MAGA, which is still a majority yeah. of the Republican Party. It gives freedom yeah. to all these people. Go, yeah, that's that's weird because they're yeah. weird. MAGA is weird. We've got like we've got like I don't know probably six seven minutes left. Okay, so I and I have an agenda. Can I can I play it out? Okay. The first thing I want to say is I know there was a lot of hand wringing about that CNN town hall, and for all of its failures as a journalistic endeavor, this is this is Donald Trump getting yeah that we uh, showed a clip of right. This is Donald Trump getting a free hour on CNN where he spewed lie after lie after lie. And um, and, you know, the CNN uh, host, uh, Caitlin Collins, she tried to fact check. But, you know, you just can't like it's an unfair competition. You just can't. You can't bring the scalpel of fact checking to a whole like uh, Kool-Aid worldview. You know what I mean? Like there's no way. It literally doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I want to say just one thing about that is I know there's a lot of hand wringing about CNN, but in terms of what it, what what we got out of that, um, number one, it showed how ugly MAGA Republicans still are. Number two, it was an hour of attack ads. I mean, there is so much, so much. Um, yeah, right. I mean, our producer is reminding me, of course, that he continued to defame E.G. Carroll. A jury found yeah. um, that he had uh, sexually abused her um, and defamed her. Um, he was found liable for that. Um, and then and, and and, you know, he did all sorts of other things. He was demeaning. He called Caitlin Collins a nasty person, you know, and then the crowd cheered and it was terrible. But but. That's an hour of attack ads for Democrats, especially if Trump ends up being the um, ends up being the nominee. It, it just like Jen was saying a second ago about that debt ceiling ad, um, that does not play well once you give people a little bit of information about the debt ceiling. That is, you know, it's fodder for going forward. One last thing. You're always interested in whether or not we can get Texas, uh, Marcos. So we have a new entrant into someone trying to um, take aim at Ted Cruz and flip the Texas Senate seat to Democrat. It is a long, long shot. But man, did Colin Allred have a a beautiful announcement ad? And we don't have the whole thing. It was like, you know, three minutes or something. It goes into his whole biography background, you know, up by the bootstraps, if that's even a thing, raised by a single mother. I think he's like a fifth generation Texan. You know, then he ended up playing in the NFL. Um, So he's this big guy. I mean, big, big, big guy. Um, But 
Uh, he his. Let's just pa- play the first minute of his announcement ad and then get your reaction to it. When I left the NFL, I thought my days of putting people on the ground were over. Then, January 6th happened. I remember hearing the glass breaking and the shouts coming closer. I texted my wife, whatever happens, I love you. Then I took off my jacket and got ready to take on anyone who came through that door. And Ted Cruz, he cheered on the mob. We will not go quietly into the night. Then hid in a supply closet when they stormed the Capitol. But that's Ted for you. All hat, no cattle. When Texans were freezing in the dark, he jetted off to Cancun. He'll do anything to get on Fox News, but can't be bothered to help keep rural Texas hospitals open. Spends months trying to whip up phony culture wars, but not a minute trying to raise wages or lower drug prices. The struggles of regular Texans just don't interest him. Well, they matter to me because those struggles are the story of my life. <laughs> uh, what do you think? What do you think? You know, it speaks to the January 6th changed everything. I mean, certainly that creates a sort of permission. But, I mean, calling your opponent weird and creepy and a coward, I mean, those those are things that, that, are, that are particularly devastating to any candidate. I mean, being called a dick is, is for a Republican, is probably a badge of honor. Like they, they, that's literally what they want to do, right? Oh, that, Cause I triggered you. I triggered the libs, but being like, you're a, co- you're hiding in the broom closet. I know. <laughs> he hid in the supply closet. That was hilarious. I was like, I didn't even know that detail. Should have, should have called it a broom closet. That would have been even better, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, with the mops, <laughs> you know? coward with mops and buckets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's a long shot. He's going he's gonna to have all the money he needs. I mean, this is going to be a situation. Now, of course, in the Florida Senate race in 2022, um, our candidate also had all the money in the world. She raised like $80 million and lost by like 20 points, right? So money's not determinative, but Colin Aldred is going to have money. Ted Cruz is not popular. He's actually very, very unpopular, even amongst Republicans. His own caucus does not really care for him, does not like him. How close did Beto get? What's that? How close did Beto get? Beto got two points. Two points. Yeah. So in twenty eighteen. In twenty eighteen. So it's not a presidential right? year. It's a little bit different dynamics. But again, I, I wanna I wanna sort of remind people of the same things we've been talking about the last from two years. Abortion <laughs> and democracy are gonna be incredibly powerful issues. Now you're gonna have an entire what two years of abortion restrictions in Texas. And so the consequences are really sort of coming through. And and in the midterms, we had very disappointing midterms in Texas. But a big part of that was was just uh, Latino voters are some of the lowest propensity voters, and particularly in midterm elections. So there, more of them will come out in a presidential year. And um, I, I've definitely seen um, there's a couple of conservatives that that election observers that have been talking about that they're worried about Texas and, and everybody makes fun of them. And, you know, but these are Republicans understanding that tre- Texas has been trending blue. The midterm was not a great look for us. But if we can get a presidential year turnout, 
plus those suburban voters continue to move our way. I don't think Donald Trump loses Texas, but I think that Ted Cruz definitely runs good four or five points behind. And so if the presidential is close, we can win that Senate race. And that's probably the only realistic chance we have of winning any Senate seats next next year. We have a very realistic chance to lose seats in West Virginia, Montana, Ohio. And so we need, you know, we need at least one place to play offense. And the other place is Florida. These are not Florida. great pickup opportunities. No, they're not. They're not at all. But Florida's our them. only other. Rick and, Scott. Rick Scott's seat. Yeah. And yeah. given the those dynamics with abortion and, and democracy and presidential year turnout and increased turnout with young voters, there is a outside chance. I mean, I would say Ted Cruz is obviously the 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 favorite in this situation, but but it's not outside the realm of possibilities. So I'm I'm excited. He's he's off to a to a good start. I think uh, he looks like he can kick your ass, which is always helpful. You know, combating that that weenie Democrat. Can you imagine him and Ted Cruz? Ted Cruz is such a lump of a man. Oh yeah, God! Beat him up anyway. Like just accidentally run into him and knock him halfway across the room. I mean, this guy is, is he's like a linebacker, right? He's ginormous. And, he's giant. Uh, anyway. And so it would be great. But yes, Gary, that is the show. You let me close it out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for much for getting Jen on the show. That was amazing. Uh, she's always such a good interview. Oh my God. She's great. Uh, thanks, Walter, for producing the show. Thanks for Paul for helping behind the scenes. And thank you, the viewer, listener, reader, for being part of this Daily Coast movement for our democracy and, and working towards a future that is, that does do all those great things that Joe Biden is talking about, where books aren't banned, where women have the right to choose. And, and not just women, because that Supreme Court also a decision also affects same-sex marriage. It affects access to contraception. It affects interracial marriage. These are all rights from that same decision that the Supreme Court just tossed aside in order to make abortion uh, potentially illegal uh, if a state decides to do so. Uh, book burnings, uh, uh, bannings and, and gun violence, all those things. Gender, gender transitions. Gender trans- so I mean, you know, to have you guys yeah. hand in hand in this fight. And uh, it's a it's a righteous fight. So thank you so mm-hmm. much. Please let everybody know about our podcast about Daily Coast. Spread the word. See you all next week. <laughs>